Just keep your hands up. I didn't say put them down. Okay. This is what we, Al. Okay. This is what we commonly know as the sign of surrender. Surrender. This is not something that feels natural or comes easy to us, is it? What do we associate with surrender? Weakness. Defeat. Losing. Humiliation. Fear. Wisdom. Some cases can be, right? Yep. Yep. Imprisonment. Right? You have pictures of uh, soldiers walking like this at the end of the war. What do, we re- what do we tend to want in life? Usually we want to win. We don't want to be in this posture. We'd rather be on the other end of it. We want freedom. And so in a pursuit of those things in life, this kind of a posture is extremely antithetical. This is not what we want to be doing. And yet, when God's kingdom comes into our midst, we are told that this is the posture that we need to assume. Surrender. He says that we can only enter his kingdom, we can only receive eternal life if we're willing to surrender. To give up. And as we are experiencing in an increasingly tiring fashion, (laughs) that this is not a natural or easy position to be in. Go ahead, let your arms down. Take a seat. Lieutenant Hiro... Onoda, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, probably not, probably butchering it. He was an Imperial Japanese intelligence officer who fought in World War II. And Lieutenant Onoda has the distinction of being, as best as we can tell, the third last person to surrender from World War II. Third last, that means two others surrendered after him. Let me tell you a bit of his story. Onada was stationed on Lubang Island in the Philippines when it was taken over by U.S. forces in February 1945. The last instructions he received from his superior commander was that he was to take a company of men and retreat to the center of the island into the jungle and that he was supposed to act as a nuisance, run roughshod on the Allied forces as they took over the island, which they were doing, and that he was to do that until the Japanese army came back for him, no matter how long it took. While his fellow evaders were eventually killed, Onada managed to last 29 years in the jungle. He dismissed every attempt by leaflet drops, by 
loudspeakers, by uh, troops coming in and trying to track him. And he, uh, he dismissed them all as tricks of the enemy to try and get him to surrender. And he simply refused. He'd been ordered to never leave his post. And that's what he was going to do until otherwise ordered. In 1974, a man finally made contact with uh, Lieutenant Onada and uh, struck up enough of a relationship and dialogue to begin to understand that he was still under order in his mind. And so he, this man went back and he spoke with the government, the Japanese government, and they finally sent Lieutenant Onada's commanding officer from World War II to the island to give him the order to surrender and to stop his duties as an officer in the army. And so in 1974, that's what happened. And there he is in his dress uniform. He came out of the jungle. He had his, his sword. You can see they're holding his uh, sword there. His, his uh, rifle was still in operating order. He finally accepted it, his order. He laid down his weapons. He went back to Japan, and he lived until January of 2014, just a couple years ago. But he refused for 29 years to accept the fact that a new kingdom was coming. He utterly fought an eight-year war for 34 years because he refused to surrender. Now, Onada's story is obviously an extreme. And remember, there are still two other people, two other uh, men on, on different islands in, in uh, the Southeast Asia Pacific who actually surrendered after him. One other one a few months later in 1974, and another, the last one, 1975 fighting the world, Second World War still in their mind. So who doesn't surrender when it's that blatantly obvious? When you are hearing voices, when mail is dropping, paper is dropping from the sky, telling you the war is long over. There's a new kingdom coming. I'll tell you who doesn't surrender. Me. You. Practically everyone we know. Think about surrender in the context of the words that we're focused in on in our sermon series, your kingdom come. What does that mean for me if I say, God, your kingdom come? Simply it means I'm inviting a new kingdom to come, right? But not just any kingdom, not my kingdom, not Curtis's kingdom, not your kingdom. I'm not inviting the kingdom of Langley to come. I'm not inviting the kingdom of Canada to come. I'm not inviting the kingdom of democracy even to come. Your kingdom come. It's not the suburban dream kingdom. It's not the, uh, I'll get to that tomorrow kingdom. It's not the no worries kingdom. It's not the tropical vacation every year kingdom. It's not even the tolerance kingdom. 
What does it mean when we say, your kingdom come? Our Father in heaven, God, your kingdom come. It's actually a statement more than a request. Because the reality is, his kingdom is coming. Whether or not I pray those words, his kingdom is coming. And yet, like Lieutenant Onoda, I daily refuse to surrender in so many ways. Because your kingdom come means that I'm supposed to give up. I'm supposed to surrender my life. And if I am brutally honest with myself first, and then with all of you, my close brothers and sisters, I want to be in control of my life. I don't want to surrender. And yet to live the life that God has planned for me, which he promises is best, Romans chapter 8 talks about that, Jeremiah 29, we, we quote that one a lot. I, for those verses to happen, I need to surrender. I need to wave a white flag. And as wonderful and as easy as that sounds, it's hard. It's extremely difficult because it goes against the grain of our culture. It goes against the grain of, of who I'm raised up to be. It goes against the grain of my desires. It goes against our very human nature. What I want and what others want around me is often not what God wants. And when it's his kingdom that's coming, that presents a problem. In Luke chapter 18, we have a series of kingdom snapshots in which Jesus pulls back the curtain and reveals to us this tension of my wants, our wants, and God's wants. And how, as they interact, they present this reality that it is both difficult and simple to enter into God's kingdom at the same time. So let's quickly look at these five different snapshots from your kingdom come perspective and see my wants and God's wants. In verses 1 to 8 of Luke 18, Jesus tells the parable of the persistent widow. Now Luke says right off the bat, hey, this parable, guys, that I'm telling you is so that you guys will uh, continue to pray, that you won't give up, you, you'll, you won't lose heart in praying, but it also reveals something about human want in tension with God's wants. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but he finally said to himself, I don't fear God or, or even care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy, so I'm going to see to it that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Okay, so that's your don't give up. Then Jesus said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end, so don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? What does the widow want in the parable? She wants justice. I want justice. Justice is a good thing. 
Verse 8, Jesus says, when God's kingdom come, when God's kingdom comes, he will bring justice and he will bring it quickly. But then he adds this curious, curious phrase at the very end. Verse 8, I tell you, God will grant justice to them quickly, but when the Son of Man returns, how many will, fi- how many will he find on the earth who have faith? In my kingdom, I want justice. God says, I'll bring justice, but I think Jesus is saying to us, that's not enough. You see, justice is about right and wrong. Justice is about punishment and reward. God's kingdom is about trust and relationship. God's kingdom is about surrender and faith. Your kingdom come, Father. Am I really willing to move beyond my human want for justice? I've often joked that if I was in charge of the world for a day, oh, it would be a just day. Am I willing to move beyond that? In God's kingdom, faith is even greater than justice. To enter God's kingdom, you need faith. It's a simple act of surrender. Simple but so difficult when I or maybe somebody I love or know well is in need of justice. The temptation in that situation is to give up on this God who I can't see and who doesn't seem to be acting and to seize that and make justice happen. Jesus says, your kingdom come, O God. How many will I find when it's coming who have faith? In the next snapshot, Jesus tells us another parable. This is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Verses 9 to 14, it says, Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. The other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. I'm not a cheater or a sinner or an adulterer. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, we tend to get this parable pretty easily because it kind of smacks us right in the face, right? In my kingdom... I want status and power. So this story, this parable speaks to my pride pretty quickly. Jesus says, your kingdom come, O God. A kingdom where, what does he say in that last verse? Those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, from young we're conditioned to look out for number one. We raise our kids that way. We were raised that way. But if I pray your kingdom come, then I am confronted with who's number one. Am I willing to step back and to be last? 
Am I willing to step back and be the least? God establishes his kingdom with those of humble faith. Again, it's a simple act of surrender. But it's incredibly difficult when I want what I want. And even more so when I deserve what I want. And talk about humility. The next kingdom snapshot we get into in Luke 18 is this all of a sudden we get this scene of Jesus blessing little children. Verse 15, one day some parents brought their kids to Jesus so he could touch and he blessed them. And when the disciples saw this, they scolded the parents for bothering him. And then Jesus called for the children. We know this famous passage. Let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. The kingdom of God belongs to those who are... I'm just making sure I read that right. Belongs to those who are like children. You can't enter it unless you receive it like a child. As a grown-up, haven't we spent pretty much our whole life complicating life? Like, isn't that what we do? Isn't that what we're good at doing? The more complex life is, the more grown up we are. Am I off base? That's what we do as adults. We develop the, the capacity to multitask. We develop the ability to read between the lines, to see the nuances in the unspoken words. What are you really saying to me, Meg? I have that little smirk on your face right now. Like, <laughs> we begin to develop the ability to peel back the layers of a situation and get to the root, the heart of what's really going on. We develop extremely uh, intricate set of emotions. thoughts. We create PhDs around theology, like thinkers about God up there. And Jesus walks up and says, no, you need to put all that complicated stuff aside, and you need to think like a child. And you need to act like a child if you want to enter into my kingdom Put away your complicated thoughts. Entrance into God's kingdom, he says, requires simple faith. But that's not fair. Because like I just said, I'm turning 50 this year, and I've spent 50 good years making the life that I now have. And it's a very complex life. And now I'm supposed to put it all aside. And I don't think that that's fair. And Jesus says, well, it's really quite simple. It's just an act of surrender. But it's so difficult when I stand beside a child. Hey, Savannah, Sienna, come on up here for a sec. Yeah, come on, Sienna. Do either of you guys have one of these? It's oh, a master of arts in theology. You don't have one? What grade are you in? We're in grade five. Both of you? Yeah. Grade five. Master of arts. 
What's the furthest you guys have ever run? I don't know. No? Have you ever been in a marathon relay? No. Like, I haven't run a marathon. Pastor Brad's run a marathon. I've been in a relay. Do you guys have a medal for running far? No? Hmm. Either of you guys own a house? Nope. I own a house. In fact, I just sold my house. And because I sold my house, I have a lawyer. You guys have a lawyer? No. No? Hmm. Well, I do. You guys got credit cards? Nexus card? Nope. Oh, she probably has a phone. Yeah. You're getting there. You'll grow up soon. <laughs> Thanks. You guys proved my point. All that I've created and all that I've worked for doesn't get me into the kingdom. My degrees, my house, my lawyers. What if I just try harder? What if I just get like more lawyers and a bigger house and more degrees? And what if I become like the rich man in verses 18 to 29 of Luke 18? Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? So now here we have a complex man. This is a highly educated, highly esteemed religious leader. And we're going to find out he's also very rich. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. And the man said, I've done them all since I was young. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, there's still one thing you haven't done. So go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. But when the rich man heard this, he was very sad for he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard this said, then who in the world can be saved if that guy couldn't? Jesus replied, what's impossible for people is possible with God. And Peter said, we've left our homes to follow you. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. So a rich, educated, religious leader wants to do the right thing. Sounds like me. And I'm sure that we can all agree that I'm a pretty good person. You guys can't say no because you hired me to be your pastor. <laughs> there must be something there. So surely I must be able to pray your kingdom come. And be confident that if I do enough of the right stuff, and if I'm a good enough pastor, and if I say the right words, and my sermons are good enough, and, and I pray properly, and that surely I get to enter the kingdom. And Jesus pushes back and says, well, Wally, you might want to do all the right things, and that's okay, but it's not about doing the right things. You want to enter the kingdom? Then give up your house. Give up your wife. 
Give up your brothers and your sisters. Even give up your children. Give up full control for the kingdom, and then you receive eternal life. That's a simple act of consenting control. And yet it's so difficult when I want payment and reward for all the things that I've worked so hard for in my life. And I want acknowledgement. And I want to pats on the back. And I want status. And I want my kids to think I'm the best dad in the world. And I want my church to think I'm the best, well, second best. You should think Brad's the best. <laughs> but I'm better than Mike. Mike, where are you? <laughs> Jesus says, surrender. Yeah, he says, surrender. He's asking me to surrender everything and everyone, including what I deem is right and wrong. And that's a big, big ask. But Jesus doesn't ask me or you, us, to surrender anything that he wasn't willing to surrender. Look at the next few verses in Luke 18. Taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus says, hey, guys, listen, I've asked a lot. You're going to give up everything for the kingdom. He says, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Romans, and he will be mocked and treated shamefully and spit upon. They will flog him with a whip, and they'll kill him, but on the third day he'll rise again. But they didn't understand any of this. The significance of his words was hidden from them, and they failed to grasp what he was talking about. But in the midst of this talk of the kingdom, Jesus says, hey, you're going to require everything of you. And he says, that's the same of me. And so he says, entering the kingdom requires everything you've got. And I think of the cross, and I think, oh, Lord, have mercy. I need a miracle. You're asking too much. Verse 35, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road when he heard the noise of a crowd going past. He asked what was happening, and they told him that Jesus the Nazarene was going by. And so he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, they said to him. But he shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. And when Jesus heard him, he stopped and ordered the man be brought to him. As the man came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. And Jesus said, All right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see. And he followed Jesus, praising God. And all who saw it praised God too. When I finally come to my end of myself, when I give up my need for justice, when I surrender my pride, when I surrender my complex ways, when I surrender my drive to do right and to be in control, then what's left? Lord, have mercy on me. I want to see. All I can do out is all I can do is cry out and ask for mercy and ask for a miracle. Because entering the kingdom of God is not like what I thought it would be like as a human, as, as, a, as, a, as an accomplished adult. Instantly the man could see and he followed Jesus praising God. That's the kingdom snapshot in this scene. 
Yeah, there's a physical miracle, but there's so much more. It's about faith and following. It's about relationship and worship. If all the man really wanted was to see, he would have said, I can see. Thanks, Jesus. Have a nice day. He followed him, giving praise. Entering the kingdom is about faith and following. It's about relationship and worship. And every human being, even a poor, blind beggar, even the guy on the corner of 264th, holding the sign. Even he in his DNA has the capacity for faith and worship. Friends, that's the simplicity and the difficulty of entering the kingdom of God. God doesn't need me to be a judge. He's already the perfect judge. He asks us to have faith in him. He doesn't need me to be first. He's the first and the last. So he instead asks us to have humble faith in him. And he doesn't need me to complicate life, as good as I am at doing that, and I'm pretty good at that, because he says he's the way, the truth, and the life. And so he asks us to have simple faith. And he doesn't even need me to do the right thing. He's in perfect control. He asked me to have consenting faith in him. And he doesn't need me to be chasing after physical miracles. Because the ultimate, relation, the ultimate miracle is being in relationship with him. And so he asked me to follow him in worship. In the previous chapter, in Luke chapter 17, verse 33, Jesus says, if you cling to your life the way that you're, you've got it set up and, if, and the things that you've got going on in your life, if you cling to that, you're going to lose it. And if you let your life go and enter into the kingdom, you're going to gain your life. You're going to save it. And that's the simplicity of entering the kingdom of God and what makes it so difficult is all the other stuff that I carry with me into that invitation. My free will, my incredible brain, my intricate emotions. When I establish my ways, my wants, my will, even when those are good things, it's difficult to give them up for the kingdom of God. Complete surrender is a simple, simple act. And yet we can make it oh so difficult as grown-ups. Our Father, who is in heaven, your kingdom come in my life, in the life of my brothers and sisters. I'm going to invite Ron and the worship team to come on up. I'm going to invite our prayer teams off to the side. It's a simple prayer. If you want to pray that prayer with somebody today, maybe, uh, maybe you've never experienced or met Jesus or God, and you said, something's going on in me, uh, and I think it's time that I want to maybe invite and say, your kingdom come. We have people off on the sides and in the back who will be able to pray with you. And for those of you who have walked with Jesus for a long time, 
and you want to pray that prayer, we'd love to pray with you as well. Our Father in heaven, your kingdom come in our lives.